Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 117. It's June 7th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. In today's episode, we're going to pick up where we left off discussing oil and in particular how even a small, seemingly insignificant imbalance between supply and demand can have a major impact on the market and therefore on your investments. Before we get to that, I do want to mention that I'm coming up on an anniversary. I looked at the calendar today and realized that it's been 36 years ago this week when I showed up on the shores of Paris Island for Marine Corps boot camp. Now, I bring this up because I like to emphasize to you, particularly those of you that are younger, that attaining wealth and building financial independence, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years. If you'd have met Private Pugliano 36 years ago, you would have thought that he would probably be a very unlikely person to become financially independent. But it worked out for me. I followed simple wealth building principles. And even though I went down a lot of dead end paths and had a lot of delays in my career development, once I finally was able to put those principles into practice, to be able to get all the cylinders in my wealth engine just firing in sequence in the proper order, well, once I was able to put that together, then I was able to build that wealth over a fairly short period of time. I really think that depending upon where you are in your current walk in life, The average American could attain financial freedom and independence in about 12 years if they really put their mind to it. Now, some of you may think that's too long, that's too hard, it's not worth waiting that long for. Well, if you can find out a way to do it quicker, good for you, go do it. I don't know how to get rich quick. This podcast isn't about getting rich quick. It's about applying basic fundamentals that can help you consistently and predictably build your wealth. If you've already built up some skills and a little bit of wealth, well, maybe you can shorten that length of time. On the other hand, if you're just, say, 17 or 18 years old and you're just starting out, well, maybe it's going to take you 20 years. But believe me, it's worth the journey. If you go over to investablewealth.com, which is my firm's website, and look at one of the top tabs entitled Building Wealth, if you click on that, that will take you to a description of where I talk about three different steps to attaining wealth. These steps or these phases are the apprenticeship, the business model, and the investment income. Now, I don't go into a lot of detail on them. It's just a few paragraphs or so. But if you're not familiar with that, go read it, check it out. Once you start thinking in those terms, then you can find the particular path that's best for you to be able to become financially independent. Well, hey, let's talk about oil. We're still not only in the United States, but globally producing more oil than is being demanded. And that always results in lower prices. Now, when I talk about this oversupply of oil, how big is it really? And this is a key takeaway, a key thing that I want you to understand. It's only 2%. Think about that. Roughly, the world supply of oil is 100 million barrels a day. The U.S. roughly is producing 10% of that. So that's around 9, 10 million barrels a day. That puts us in league with Saudi Arabia and and Russia. Between the three of us, we're producing over 30% of the world's oil supplies. So that's the supply side of the equation. The other side of the equation is demand. And demand isn't down. It's just not growing as much as it was anticipated. We had countries like China and India, which were doubling and tripling their consumption of oil. Well, that's tapered off now. That's why I always laugh at these economic assumptions and forecasts that people make. They draw these lines out into the future, and they assume that if China's been growing at 14% every year, that they're going to continue to grow at that rate. Well, those assumptions were false. Emerging markets can only grow so large before they're no longer emerging. Then they become developed nations, and they grow at a much slower rate. That's what we're seeing right now with the cooling of the economy, particularly in China. China will be lucky to grow at 7% this year. 
So they will consume a lot less commodities and in particular oil than they did proportionally in past years. Well, the economists and the futurists didn't take that into their calculations. They extrapolated China's growth out into infinity. And so right now, particularly with all this oil that's being produced in the United States, remember we're producing about twice as much as we did a decade ago, and we make up 10% of the world's production. Well, not only has our production increased, but Saudi Arabia has increased their production. The Russians have increased their production. Mexico, Canada, they've all increased their productions because the price of oil kept going up and everybody was worried about peak oil and there was very low interest rates and so people could borrow money at very low prices and investors were looking at a high return on their dollar so they invested more and more money into the energy sector and as a result a lot of oil production has come online, it's come on stream and it's come on stream at a time when a lot of these emerging markets are seeing either contracted growth or they're at least seeing a slowdown in the rate of their growth. Globally what that's meant to the oil industry is supply demand ratio is out of balance by about 2%. We have approximately 2 more million barrels a day of oil being produced than are being consumed. Now to put that in perspective to you, the shale oil that's coming out of North Dakota that didn't even exist 10 years ago, well that's about a million barrels a day. So North Dakota shale oil production even with all these rigs coming offline, and again, incidentally, they haven't reduced their production. They've just shut down inefficient rigs, but they're producing about 1 million barrels a day. The world oversupply is only 2 million barrels a day. So that gives you an idea of how small of an anomaly we're talking about. A little oil producer like North Dakota can drastically affect the oil industry and make prices collapse over 60% in just 12 months. Imagine the impact of the oil flow from war-torn parts of the Middle East like Libya, Iraq, Iran, even Yemen right now with all the rebel fighting. The parts of northern Africa, Nigeria, places like that that have very unstable governments and are fairly large oil producers. If we didn't have all these wars and all these concerns about terrorism and all this government instability in parts of northern Africa and the Middle East, the world would be awash in so much oil that would probably be producing oil at $5 a barrel. That's something for you to consider and keep in the back of your mind. If peace ever breaks out, the cost of living for mankind is going to drastically fall. That would be a good thing for humanity. The world is awash in oil. And the technologies that we've seen to frack and crack oil out of the ground in the United States are not going to be limited and they're not going to stay here. Those same technologies are going to go to the old mature oil wells in the Middle East and they're going to go to countries like Mexico and Canada and Malaysia and these other oil producers and they are, over the next 10 years, going to experience the same efficiencies and modernizations to their oil exploration and drilling operations that we've seen here in the United States in these last 10 years. And so just looking at the U.S.'s production, we've doubled our production in the last decade because of technology. I think it's also reasonable to assume that that same technology transfer will allow the rest of the world to double their production in the next decade or so as well. And as we've seen, the global birth rate, the global consumption of oil and energy is tapering off. And that's why my assertion is that we're not at peak oil, that the world is awash in oil. And that's good news because although long term our future may be in biorenewables or it may be in solar or wind or it may be in nuclear energy, right now, today, over the next five to ten years, we are still extremely dependent on oil. And since we have at least a hundred or more years of oil reserves at market prices, I don't lose any sleep over peak oil. And that should give you a sense of optimism for our current economy 
and the stability that we'll see with corporate profits in the stock market over the coming years. Now, let me get back to that point about the unbalance between supply and demand of oil. We saw oil prices over the last 12 months collapse over 60%, and it's occurred over a 2% difference of supply outstripping demand. I want to emphasize that because, again, imagine if there was like a major war in the Middle East or some other type of, whether it's a man-made disruption or an act of Mother Nature, an earthquake, a flood, a tsunami, whatever it is, something that drastically disrupts the flow of oil. Well, a gradual increase in the production of oil in the U.S. over the last 10 years, which has resulted in a 2% imbalance in the supply-demand ratio with oil, that dropped the price of oil by 50%. Imagine that if overnight the oil production capacities of Russia or Saudi Arabia or Kuwait or Venezuela or Nigeria, some major oil producer, imagine that for whatever reason, man-made or active nature, that it was disrupted and taken offline. Well, that would have more than a 2% impact on the supply-demand ratio in oil, and you would see prices skyrocket overnight. I stress this to those of you that only practice buy-and-hold techniques in the market, where you always think that the market's going to be higher and things will work themselves out, and so you're going to dollar-cost average in, and you're convinced that, that when you retire, when you need the money in 10 or 20 years, it's going to be there and it's going to have grown and appreciated beyond the effects of inflation. Well, I bring up this issue with supply and demand in oil just to stress to you the general instability of the market. Yes, over 80 years, the stock market may return on average 8% a year. But in any given year, in any given decade, in any given five-month period, there can be such drastic fluctuations in the stock market because of something like an impact of oil that the markets could collapse and you could lose a significant portion of your life savings. Now, will that all work out in the end? Yes, over an 80-year period, it will smooth out. But if you happen to be retiring when the market crashes or you happen to need the money because you lost your job or because there's an emergency or because there's an illness in the family, well, these things happen, and it can take decades for the market to recover. Remember, right now, the S&P 500 is struggling to maintain 5,000. Well, it had exceeded that level back in 2000. So we're 15 years into the NASDAQ, and it's still struggling to beat its historical records that it had made back 15 years ago in 2000. Markets can take a long time to recover. Small little incremental shifts in supply and demand can have big impacts not only on countries, but on countries and on general economic conditions. Remember the effects that the tsunami had in Malaysia when it took out all the semiconductor production? Remember the effects that the earthquake and the tsunami had on Fukushima when it took out Japan's nuclear reactors? Remember the effects of Katrina in 2005 when it disrupted our oil production in the U.S.? I was living in the southeast back then, and I remember our oil prices almost overnight going from like $1.98 a gallon to $4 a gallon. These small little disruptions can have a major impact, and sometimes they go away in two or three months, but other times they can take decades to work their way through the system. One more example, and then I'll wrap this podcast up. The shale revolution that we all think about in terms of gasoline and petroleum products, well, it's had the same effect on the price of natural gas. But because of cartels and government regulation, you, you don't see or feel the same impact of lower natural gas prices that you do when there are lower oil prices. But it's been about a decade that the price of natural gas in the United States has just collapsed and it can't recover. 
And this is yet another example of when there's an imbalance between supply and demand. Remember, natural gas is not as fungible as oil. Remember I mentioned earlier that the United States has a, a ban on, on the exportation of American oil. We can't export oil outside the U.S. And so therefore, our oil trades at a global discount. Well, there isn't a ban on the exporting of natural gas. It's just that it's very hard to do. You have to liquefy it. It requires special facilities. It requires a great deal of capital investment. And those things aren't in place yet to take advantage of all the natural gas that we have currently in the United States. As a result of that, there's been a total collapse and annihilation of the price of natural gas in America. There is a large disparity in the price of natural gas across the globe, all based on supply and demand. Here in the United States, the price for natural gas in million BTUs is about $2.60. In Europe, it's over $7 per million BTU. And in Asia, it's over $12. So you can see a significant disparity in the price of natural gas. It's a commodity that's the same around the world, but because it's not as fungible as oil, the supply-demand ratios are drastically different on different continents and as a result, you see extremely different price fluctuations from country to country. Now, eventually, over the long term, there'll be a balance. There'll be an equilibrium. The prices in the United States will come up as we build the infrastructure to be able to export more of our excess natural gas to other parts of the world. And at the same time, those other parts of the world, as they're able to receive our natural gas, their prices will come down. And then also our technology of fracking and horizontal drilling that will also result in more natural gas production around the globe. So the average long-term global pricing for natural gas will be down. Well, those are some of the things I wanted to cover with you today. Again, we specifically talked about oil, but the real nature of the discussion is about trends and anomalies and how free markets and how an imbalance in supply and demand can drastically affect pricing. These are all very important to the way you invest and how you build your wealth. If you'd like to learn more about my thoughts and opinions on oil and even how oil affects other commodities such as gold, then you can go over to my websites, investablewealth.com. That's where I write my blog articles or wellsteading.com. That's where all the archives of the podcast are kept. Both of those websites have search functions up at the top. If you put in a topic like gas or gold or natural gas, then you'll be able to read any past articles or podcasts on the subject. Until our next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.